0: But, uh, yeah, I like lights now. Lights are really more important now than they were 10 years ago. <laughs> it's amazing, these little things that happen as we get a couple years older. <clears throat> any rate, well, one thing I wanted to do in the new year is that there's always all kinds of ideas that go through your mind as a, as a pastor, as a preacher, that what we should preach on in this series and that series and as I've said many times, I'm not a thematic preacher because, I, or a or, or topical preacher because I, I'm just not creative enough. And uh, I always have these little ideas, but it, it's best for me just to go through something. But I'm not quite ready for that yet because I have about three things I've been praying through. But one of the things I did want to bring out in this in the beginning of the new year is our daily walk with the Lord. It's so important how we daily walk with the Lord. And so this morning, I want us to start off, and as I, as I said last Sunday night, if you were there, um, this morning is going to be like a smorgasbord of uh, Bible thoughts. The only difference is you don't get to pick. <laughs> and uh, so I've picked them for you. But uh, some key things that are going through my mind as we daily walk with the Lord in this new year. It's so easy for all of us to get into habits and patterns that are not good. Um, we do things because that's what we've always done. And oftentimes we can tell how bullheaded we are by someone saying, hey, you know, it would be easier if you do it this way. Yeah, but that's good for you, but that's not how I'm going to do it. Even though we know it could potentially save us time or energy or work, but we're bullheaded because we're going to do it our own way because that's what we've always done it. But when it comes to spiritual things and the, and the spiritual state of our lives, how are we doing? How are we doing with our daily walk? Because God's Word tells us in Colossians 2, 6 and 7, it says, Therefore... As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in Him. Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you are taught, overflowing with gratitude. Those are a couple of loaded verses when it comes down to what our, the expectation is for us that God has given us once we know Jesus Christ as our Savior. So let me say that again. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in Him. So we have the idea that it's not a race, it's not a sprint, it's not a, it's not a 50-yard dash. It is a daily walk that is basically going to happen until Christ calls us home, or we, uh, or, or or we die, or something along those lines. It's a daily thing that we are committed to doing in the presence of the Lord, a daily walk. Then it goes on to say, uh, in verse six or verse seven, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith. So the idea of being rooted is the fact that it is taking root. It is going down. It is going deep. And how does that happen? Unless there is daily nourishment, daily food, daily water. uh, As we talk about the idea of of an oak tree. It grows slow. But it grows deep and it grows strong. How does that happen? Time and consistent watering, consistent growth. And that's what's going to take in our walk with the Lord. It takes a consistent daily... Being in the Word, being uh, 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 available to spend time in prayer and reading of God's Word. That root will take place and it becomes stronger with time. Established in the faith, just as you were taught, overflowing with gratitude. So the idea that I want to do this with a grateful spirit, with a grateful attitude towards the Lord. But it's a daily walk. So the question is for us as we come into this new year, what kind of things does God want us to do in our daily walk with the Lord? What does He have for us? Um, once again, it's not that sprint. It's, not the, it's a marathon. And I, I've talked to many people, and they say, well, you know, uh, when God does this, you know, I'll get a little more serious. Or when this happens, I'll get a little bit more serious. This is not a New Year's resolution. This should be an every year resolution, every day resolution, every month every, or, or, you know, resolution. These are things that ought to be part of our life daily. And so <clears throat> it's not waiting for that big thing that God's going to do. Uh, it's not living from mountaintop experience to mountaintop experience with an occasional valley in there. It's a consistency of saying, I'm going to walk with God daily. And so what does that mean? Like, well, uh, what does that look like in my day-to-day living? So one of the things I'm going to do this morning, as I said, in this kind of a biblical smorgasbord of thoughts, uh, I want to give you an acrostic this morning. Just the acrostic for the word daily, D-A-I-L-Y. So, D-A-I-L-Y. So this morning, we're going to look at what each of these letters stand for and some verses that go along with that. But as we wake up every morning, as we choose to live for the Lord, these are some things I believe that God would have for us to do daily as we begin this new year and living it for Him. The first one is the letter D. And what I want to put with this letter D is to die to self. To die to self. That is so contrary to what this world promotes. It's contrary to what everyone around us wants us to do. We look for the job that is better. We look for the job that helps me. We look for everything around us that helps me become what I want to be. But that's contrary to what God has for us. I believe that God would have for every one of us to die daily to self. So I want to give you a couple of scriptures to go with us. And the first one is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 31. Um... In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 31 says I affirm by the pride in you that I have in Christ Jesus our Lord I die every day. And you think about that he says I die every day. What is he talking about dying every day? What he's talking about is the very fact that I this life is not about me. We talk about it, it's not about me, it's all about him. But yet everything we do in life revolves around what pleases us, what helps us, what satisfies us, what you know, basically in in essence, what takes care of what I want to happen in my life. And yet he says this, you know, I affirm by the pride in you that I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. What's he talking about? Well, once again, in Galatians chapter 2, Galatians, Ephesians, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it's a very familiar passage. I'm sure you've heard it many times. But he says this And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, he says, when you look at me, I don't want you to see Paul. I don't want you to see what Paul is doing. I don't want you to see what Paul is saying. I want you to see a picture of Jesus Christ as you look this direction. So he said, I have died to self. I die daily, he says. But I am died to self. I have crucified the flesh. It's no longer I, but Christ who is living through me. Do we honestly have the ability to say that in our lives? That it's not about me any longer. It's all about Him. And what, whatever I can do to bring Him glory daily. Am I willing to die to self? In Matthew chapter 16, well, let's look at what this might look at practically. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25, He says, Then Jesus said to His disciples, If anyone wants to come with Me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. So what's he saying here? I'm looking for people who are willing to die to self, who are willing to take up the cross and follow. Am I willing to turn my back on everything that is important to me, primarily, and make it secondary to what God has for me in my life? Am I willing to deny myself? That's a pretty tough question to answer, because theoretically, every one of us will say, well, of course, if God asks me to do that, I'll do that. But what does that mean, not theoretically, but practically and realistically in my day-to-day living? Am I willing to deny myself? You know, every year, at this time of year, all kinds of emails come out. And I'm telling you, I get probably 100 emails a day and most of it isn't worth looking at. And it's kind of funny because my wife and kids are looking at me, what are you doing? I'm just going, delete, 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 delete. You know, it's just, I get so many every day. And a lot of them are... Basically, asking for stuff for the new year. They're wanting you to commit to doing this program in the new year and buying this material for the church in the new year. And all these different requests that, that come across our, our, our computers and so forth. But oftentimes, one of them, many of them will be kind of cushioned in this phrase Would you be willing to give up a cup of Starbucks once a week for this next year and give what you would have given to Starbucks to this cause? I say that sounds simple enough if you went to Starbucks. But what's your Starbucks? What is it that you make available to yourself every week or every month that possibly God would want you to give up to give to this cause or to, to make God's work go forward in, in a certain way? What is it that, that we would be willing to deny ourselves to accomplish more for the cause of Christ? Is it a Starbucks? Is it a Tim Hortons? Is it a... You know, whatever. Fill in the blank. What is it that you live for? But he says, listen, if anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. If we're worrying about saving our life, you are going to lose it. But whoever willingly lays it down will find it. That's what he wants from us. Or is there a willingness to follow him? Back in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 24, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 24 says this. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. We must not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. What's he saying here? The fruit of the Spirit lives in within us and we're crucifying the flesh. In other words, the idea behind crucifying is that we're putting to death our desires, our will, our selfish ambitions to follow what God has for us. And that's a daily thing. say, well, I made that decision to follow Christ 20 years ago and I haven't changed. Right, but it's a daily surrendering. The whole idea behind dying to self is surrendering my will to His will. It's saying, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do, not what I want to do. He goes on in Romans chapter 6 right after the book of Acts, Acts, Romans, chapter 6 and verse 4. He says, Therefore we were buried with Him in our baptism into death, in order, that just, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life. So what's the idea here? We talk about it often when we talk about baptism. Remember, we start off with this idea, if you are in Christ, walk in Him. So the idea is this, if I've come to the place where I am a... Follower of a Christ. I've placed my faith and trust in Him. What What is it saying here? Now I'm crucifying the flesh. I've put it to death. My life that I know of, knew of before Christ, that's no longer. As we say often, as we stand in the water, you're forming a what? Cross. What did Jesus do on the cross? He died. So as we go under the water, we are representing His what? His death. But Christ didn't stay in the grave. He came what? Up out of the grave. And basically... Came back to life again. So here's the idea. When we are coming to Christ, as Jesus Christ works on our heart, on our heart draws us to himself, and we, we, we surrender to the first step of obedience after salvation, which is, obe- or, 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 which is baptism, we are crucifying the flesh. We are putting to death the life that we had before Christ entered our life. That life is no more. That life is gone. It's in the past. That means I'm putting to death my desires, My will, to surrender to His will. And the whole idea behind all this is what? Surrender. Am I willing to give up? That's such a hard thing to do in our culture. Our culture demands that, hey, it's all about pleasing self. But that's the opposite of what God has for us. And then in John chapter 12 and verse 25, The one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. What is it? Once again, it's a picture of dying to self. It's a picture of complete surrender to the one. So here's the idea. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, it says, For to me to live is what? Christ. And to die is Gain. What is it about dying? Well, we have to understand that our life is not rooted here in this world. You've heard me say many times, Scripture says that uh, depending on the translation you uh, are using, say that you are pilgrims, you're strangers, you're sojourners. Some translations use the word aliens, and I believe it. Um, Some of you, what's he saying here? Our life is not in this world. Philippians tells us that our conversation or our manner of living, our true living, our citizenship is in heaven, not here. So if we make all this life about living here for what this life has to offer, we're missing what God has for us. And trust me, some of us would like to have what this life has to offer. I was joking around yesterday with a couple different people. The lotto is up to what? They said if it was not claimed last night, by Monday morning it would be $1.3 Can you imagine the take-home on that thing? I, I can't even fathom taking home $800 million after taxes. But you know, if all we have in this life is material wealth, we don't have much. It's amazing. There was a uh, study done recently, actually a couple, within the last couple of years, and it's been updated. People who have won the lottery... Within five years, most of them end up divorced, bankrupt, and really back to having nothing again. That happens 90% of the time. You know, it's an amazing thing to be able, be able to go out and buy a $7 million house while you have $25 million in the bank. But after about the 21st car and giving away the, the, you know, the $300,000, and you have nothing left, and the taxes are still due annually for the house you bought. It's just a matter of time before you have nothing left. And it happens over and over and over again. But it's the idea of living for this life. I like what Johnny Hunt says. is Everybody's storing stuff away as if they're going to live here forever. We're not going to be here forever. It's hard to imagine, hard to conceive, but this life is temporary. I was talking with Terry McIntyre. Um, and talking about the reality of what may come down the road. And uh, he says, uh, I remember a story you told, and told me a long time ago, before all this came to light about the cancer and so forth. I remember the night of my dad's funeral. There was a really wicked thunderstorm. <laughs> I mean, it was loud. There was lightning. There's thunder. And uh, my little niece looked up at my sister and, uh, and said, uh, boy, it's loud. And my sister just kind of jokingly said, that's his grandpa jumping on his new legs. Because my dad had had amputations and so forth on his legs. And, uh, but you know, this life, it doesn't offer much. In the big picture, it doesn't offer much. We look forward to what is to come. Amen? So in this life, what God asks of us is to die daily. And one of the things that we need to do as we wake up every morning is to simply surrender ourselves to God's use. God, guide my thinking. Guide my, guide my actions, my reactions. Help it not to be about me. Help me to die to self. Letter A is to ask for wisdom. Does anybody have all the answers? Anybody? I don't think so. We all need God's help. We all need God's wisdom and we need to daily ask for it. In James chapter 1, verse 5, he says this, Now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously, and without criticizing, and it will be given to him. But here's the key. He says if you want some direction, if you need some wisdom, I'll give it to you. But what's the key here? Verse 6, But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea, driven tossed by the wind, and that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. An indecisive man is unstable in all his ways. Some translations say a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. What's he saying here? You have the ability to come to me for wisdom. We don't have to make decisions in our own flesh, in our own wisdom, our own our own understanding. We have the ability to go to him. And when we trust God to work and trust God to answer that prayer, he'll do it. He'll make himself known to us. Proverbs chapter 1 Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes right there in the middle, Proverbs 1, verses 22 and 23. It says, How long, foolish ones, will you love ignorance? How long will you mockers enjoy mocking, and you fools hate knowledge? If you respond to my warning, then I will pour out my Spirit upon you and teach you my words. Over and over, he talks about wisdom, and the book of Proverbs is full of it. Uh, verse 20, he says, Wisdom calls out in the streets. She raises her voice in public squares. She cries out above the commotion. She speaks at the entrance of the city gates. And yet, within the heart of man, there is a desire to cry out in ignorance when God says, I have wisdom available to you. And then he says verse 24, Since I called out to you and you refused, you extended my hand and no one paid attention. He says, Man, this wisdom is available, and yet you refuse it. And then he goes back and tells us in verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. but fools despise wisdom and discipline. I think every day we need to ask the Lord for wisdom. Every day, because I don't know about you, but there are situations that come up every day. How am I going to respond to this? In my flesh, I want to go this direction, but is that really the best direction? Maybe God has for me to go over here. God, I need your help. But it's daily, dying to self, and then asking God for wisdom For the decisions of that day. Then, letter I, probably one of the most important things that we can do also, is intimacy with God. D, die to self. A, ask for wisdom, ask God for wisdom. And letter I, intimacy with God. In the book of Jude, just a small book right before the last book of the Bible, right before Revelation, just a one page book called the book of Jude. Verse 21 says this. It says, keep yourselves in the love of God, expecting the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Keep yourselves in the love of God. If I could put it this way, find intimacy with the Lord. Get alone with Him. One of the things that I think has been lost in our day and age is getting alone with God for extended periods of time. Um, one of the things that those of you that went to the leadership seminar that we put on on that Saturday, one of the things that really stood out to me is how there are times when Jesus got alone and just prayed to his Father. And yet in the busyness of our culture, in our day-to-day living, we don't take time. Um, I want to make it clear here. Sometimes we get the ideas like, well, I don't have time, Pastor, to do you know, 30 minutes a day of Bible reading and 30 minutes a day of prayer. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about once in a while getting alone with God and saying, God, I need you to speak to me. I need to hear your voice. God, I've got decisions to make, and I need to hear what what your thoughts are on this. And that doesn't happen like boom sometimes. Sometimes it does. But that's not most often the case. Most often it's not the idea that, well, I'm just going to throw up this Hail Mary prayer, and God's just going to tell me what's going on. Sometimes God expects us to get alone with Him, to spend time with Him, to read His Word, to really gain the wisdom and the principles in His Word that will help me make the right choices and the right decisions. You know, oftentimes one of the things that I like about hunting is that you get alone with God. It's a bonus if you can see a deer, and it's an extreme bonus if you have an opportunity to shoot one. But just getting out in nature, getting in a tree stand, and just... I love smartphones for that reason. You can bring your Bible with you and you can read and you can pray. But those opportunities to just get alone with God, when's the last time we've done that? And become intimate with the Lord. To really know his heart and to know his mind. To take some time to read through the book of Psalms and just really get to know the heart of God. When's the last time we've done that? You see, we live in a microwave culture. We're in a hurry, you mic it. You know, we don't have time to make a meal. You grab the leftovers, throw it in the microwave, and you, you know, instant meal. We live in a world of, in a culture of instant. You know, whatever. But the, the, but the problem with that is, oftentimes we bring that into our spiritual walk with God too. A minute here, a hail Mary prayer there. You know, I'm in trouble. I need God's. I need to, you know, you know, extend out to God just for this moment because I'm not sure what to do. But how often do we just get alone and spend time and pray? Don't let that be something of the past. Don't let that be something that's said of other people. Let's get intimate with the Lord and spend that time. In John chapter 15, if you would turn there. John chapter 15. There's a couple of key verses here. Verse 9 and 10 says, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my hope. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept the Father's commands and remain in His love. The idea behind the word remain is the word abide. It's a consistent abiding. It's becoming one with. Are we doing that? As His children. As His people. Are we abiding in Him? Constantly with Him, seeking Him, letting Him speak to us. There's no shortcuts for that. It's not like you can read a book and say, okay, I got that done. Next. It's the idea of it's daily. It's daily communicating. In our relationships, how strong would our relationships be if we only communicated once in a while? (laughs) You say, well, I've already got that. No, but seriously. How strong would your relationships be if you only communicated with your spouse every third, fourth, fifth day? If, you know, you got, you got a third, fourth, fifth, tenth grader at home, but you only talk to him once every third, fourth, fifth day. How great would that relationship be? Why would it be any different with God? He wants to daily fellowship with us. He wants daily for us to be in communication with him. It's us listening to God speak and then God listening to us speak. Communication being two way. Are we taking the time to become intimate with the Lord in our relationship with him? Then letter L, something we need to do daily die to self, ask for wisdom, become intimate with God. And then letter L, love God and the brethren. If you would, take your Bibles and turn to First John chapter two. Right at the end of the New Testament there. First John chapter two. Several verses here. But do we truly love one another in the body of Christ? First John chapter two, beginning with verse nine, says this The one who says he is in the light, but hates his brother is in darkness until now. The one who loves his brother remains in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. So you can say one thing, but what do our actions speak? What do our actions say? Does it say that we love each other? That we love each other in the body of Christ? We're to love God and love the brethren. I know in the body of Christ there are always those that we kind of, if we use this phrase, connect with. I connect with this person more than this person. And that happens. I understand that. But there ought not to be those that we just can't stand. There are always people who say things that irritate you. There are always people who do things that drive you insane. But love looks beyond that. There are times that someone will say to me, Pastor, I think we ought to do this. you know, Approach so-and-so about something. I say, right. But the pastoral side of me says... I understand what you're saying, but let's not beat a person while they're down. Let's love on them. Let's teach. Let's encourage. You can't change the heart of a person. You ever figured that out yet? You can't change the heart of a person. When they're being irresponsible, that's their heart coming out. When they say dumb things, that's their heart speaking. So out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When people do things that are hurtful, that's their heart coming out but we can control how we love them. I can't control what another person does, but I can and ought to control how I respond to it. Does that make sense? I have to do that. That's what God has called me to do. I can't change another person's heart. I can't change what they do, but I can change how I respond to it. And I can choose to love them. Because if I say I love them and yet hate someone, the love of God is not in me. So there's a part of me that says in my flesh, I want to slap them. But there's a spirit living within me saying, you need to love them. And that's the hard part sometimes. But once again, that gets back to the, letter, the first letter, D, dying to self. Because it's not about me whether or not you make me happy or not. My joy is not coming from you, it's coming from God. Whether or not I have peace is not from you, it's from God. Whether or not I'm satisfied with what's going on is not from you, it's from God. Because I've died to self. Am I willing to love the brethren? In chapter four, verse seven, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So our love for one another gives credence to the fact that God's love resides in us. So verse seven there. Verse eight. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent His one and only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Love consists in this. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. Am I willing to have love for the brother? Despite what they may say, despite what they may do, Am I willing to love them the way God expects me to love them? Not easy, but commanded of us. And so we surrender ourselves and our feelings to say, I'm going to love that person. I'm going to choose to love those people. Because that's what God expects of me. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, and verse 8, Now, finally, all of you should be like minded and sympathetic, should love believers and be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called for this, so that you can inherit a blessing. I have to bless those that are less than friendly to me. Mm -hmm. So it says. You should be like-minded and sympathetic, should love believers, and be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil, or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing, since you were called for this, so that you can inherit a blessing. So God says, if I do this, I'm likely to inherit a blessing. By giving a blessing, being a blessing, by not in returning insult for insult, and tit for tat, I set myself up for God's blessing. I want God's blessing. Anybody else? That means I have to respond correctly to the things that come into my life. And then, letter Y. So we're to die to self. We're to ask God for wisdom. I, were to be intimate with God. L, love God and the brethren. And then Y, yield to God and the Holy Spirit daily. Are we willing to yield to Him uh, if you would take your Bibles and turn over to Psalm chapter twenty-seven, the beginning of the book of Psalms. There, chapter twenty-seven. I love this. I love this psalm altogether, but there's a couple of good verses in here. But psalm twenty-seven, verse fourteen. He says, "Wait for the Lord; be strong and courageous." Wait for the Lord. Anybody else impatient? Right. Those of you that didn't raise your hand, I know otherwise. We can be pretty impatient people. Are we willing to wait on the Lord? What I found in my own life, and maybe you found it to be true in your life, is that we're good at praying for things for a period of time. Someone says, hey pastor, pray for me. And uh, I want to be honest about this. Anytime someone asks me to pray, immediately I will take time and pray. Immediately. Because I don't want to be that guy who says, Pastor said he's praying for me and then he didn't do it. I want to pray for those that request prayer. And I want to do it faithfully as much as I can. But when it comes to things in my own life, I'm really terrible at, I have this need and I pray for it once or twice and then tomorrow's a new day and I forgot about yesterday's prayer request. Anybody else like that? That was yesterday's prayer request. Today's a new day. I have different requests today. See, why is that? Because if we don't get immediate response, we either feel like, oh, God's not going to do it, or I just don't want to wait for it. I'll find another solution, a different solution, one that I can control. But to continuously pray and to continuously wait, that's not easy. Day after day, week after week, month after month, Waiting on God. and Sometimes it takes years. I've talked to people who've said that they've had a specific prayer and it's been 10, 15, 20 years before God did, did, did something that was just drastically in response to what He was praying. Are we willing to wait? In Isaiah, here's a very familiar passage that talks about that. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Familiar verse. It says, but those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And many of your translations say, wait on the Lord. This idea of trusting in Him. God, I'm willing to be patient because I trust You. I trust You. You're not going to make any mistakes. You're not going to do anything wrong. You're not going to allow those things that are best for me in my life. I'm willing to wait. I'm just going to trust You, Lord. And then one last verse, Ephesians 5. In our waiting, in our daily trusting of God, in our flesh, we want to make choices that are just simply selfish. We want to make decisions that affect the here and the now. We don't make decisions that are fleshly. And he just says, if I could read this, verses 15 through 18, Ephesians 5. He says, pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit, saying, God, I don't want to respond in the flesh. If I respond in the flesh, I'm going to go down the wrong road. What does 2 Corinthians 5 remind us? We're to walk by faith and not by sight. Sight will get us in trouble. Because this over here looks really good. The only problem is the grass always looks greener on the other side. You know, the whole idea is that we need to just be content where we're at, be satisfied with God and what He's doing. We trust Him daily. I'm being filled with the Spirit, and I'm waiting on Him. I'm willing to yield. Once again, why? Because back in the first letter, I've died to self. I've surrendered to Him. And I'm waiting on Him. It's a good challenge for myself, for all of us, as we come into this new year, to daily walk with God. God to daily die to self, to daily ask for wisdom, to daily become intimate with Him, to daily love God and the brethren, and to daily yield to God and the Holy Spirit. To ask and to wait in Him, to just put myself under His total authority and His total control daily. And if we're willing to do that, God's going to do something great this year. I have to believe that God is a God of his word. He's a God that we can trust. And when we develop a relationship with him that is close, he's going to show himself strong to us. I have to believe that. And I hope that daily that we will do these things together as a church family. Daily. Surrendering ourselves to him. Let's pray.